Well, thanks again, guys, for being here. Uh, I know that um, about this time of year, especially as it gets cold and wintry and disgusting, that a lot of us have warmer weather on our mind. And so I, I ran across an article this week of, of a new building that was being constructed in Florida, my favorite place in the world. And uh, here's what I discovered. It was in April of 2006 that they began construction on a building called the San Padre Island Ocean Tower. I know that's a mouthful. What it is, though, it's a 31-story high-rise luxury condominium building. When it was all done, or when it would be all done, uh, it would house 31 uh, stories, or, or or 147 residencies. In the building, it would have a gym, a spa, movie theater, pools, not one, several pools. The best part of this condominium building, though, what you're really paying for is the views because it overlooked the Gulf of Mexico and you would have the best of sunset views over the Gulf of Mexico. And so they envisioned this would be a condominium that would, that would be purchased very quickly. The, the condos would go very fast. And so they began construction in April of 2006. When it would all be done, it would stand 445 feet tall and it would be one of the tallest structures on this oceanfront property facing the Gulf of Mexico. Now, you can imagine yourself there, can't you, standing in your brand new condominium overlooking the Gulf of Mexico, and you would say to yourself, you know what, I worked my hard my entire life, and now I get to enjoy my sunset years, my golden years, my retirement years, and a paradise like this. But here's the thing, you're smart. You're not about to make a bad investment, and so you did your research, because you know that hurricanes inevitably will show up and just beat against this tower. And so you want to make sure that the structure is sound so that when it does come, your investment is not lost. But to your delight, you don't have to worry about this because you discovered that this tower, all 445 feet of it, is built around three massively reinforced walls that go up through the entire structure. And so you should be fine. And so when it comes to this document signing, this mortgage signing ceremony, that's what we'll call it a ceremony, you're not only happy to sign your name to the mortgage, you're also happy to sign your name to a $2 million check to pay for that condo. And there you go. You have your dream retirement vacation spot. However, in 2008, here's what they discovered. They, they found some cracks showing up in the support walls that go all the way up and down this building. And when they investigated, here's what they discovered. The building itself, all 445 feet, had sunken over 14 inches. When they looked even deeper into it, they discovered that the support piers that they drilled over 100 feet into the clay were buckling. And those I-beams, you know those massive steel I-beams that support all kinds of weight? Those were beginning to twist. And then they discovered that the cost to fix the foundation of this building was going to be far more expensive than would ever be worth it. And so they condemned the building. And in 2009, they stuck some explosive onto those three massively reinforced walls and lit the fuse. And in a matter of moments, it all came imploding in on itself. Let me ask you a question. Y'all want to write a $2 million check right now? Now, here's the thing. You didn't really care about the foundation, did you? What you cared about is the open concept. What you cared about is that new kitchen with all the stainless steel appliances. You cared about the three bedrooms and three bathrooms. And what you most cared about was that sunset view over the Gulf of Mexico, right? You didn't even think about the foundation. And so I have a question for you this morning. I want to ask you a question. Where did you build your house? 
Where did you build your house? Now, the reason I say this is because in Matthew, Jesus, in Matthew chapter seven, listen to what Jesus says. Those who hear these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So you have the image in mind, don't you? It is your dream vacation spot on that oceanfront beach. You want to build your dream vacation there. When you go to realtor.com and you look at what's already there, maybe you want to buy one that's already built, you know what you're not looking at? You're not looking at pictures of the foundation. You're not. They don't even have those pictures on realtor.com. What they do have those pictures of the kitchen and bathrooms and bedrooms and the views and all the amenities, the gym and the pools and all those kinds of things. That's what they show you because that's what they know you want. They don't show pictures of the foundation because you don't care about it. You do, but you're not thinking about it, right? Because you assume that if they're going to build a building, the foundation is going to be strong enough to handle it. So once the foundation is built, it ought to be a forget kind of option. Don't even worry about it anymore because it should be strong enough. But listen to what Jesus says again in verse 24. Those who hear these words of mine and does them is like a wise man. Now, he could have ended the sentence there and it was still been good teaching. But he doesn't. He continues on and actually gives a description of what wisdom looks like in this scenario. He says, he's like the wise man. Now watch this other translation. Who dug deep until he found bedrock beneath the sand and anchored the house to that. I like that translation a lot better. Who dug deep until he found rock beneath the sand and anchored his house to that. So let me ask you a question. How long are you willing to dig? And how deep are you willing to go to either find the bedrock or to stop digging because it's too tiring and it's too hard and it's taking too long? And then you say something like this. You know what? Hurricanes aren't that bad. They don't really do a whole lot. You know what? Clay is strong. And so it's not bedrock, I know, but it's a strong enough foundation that my structure is going to be just fine. And so you're willing to risk the future of your structure on clay, hoping that the hurricanes that show up aren't going to be strong enough. So here's what Jesus says. If you hear these words of mine and obey them, if you do them, you're like a wise man who was willing to dig deep enough and long enough to find bedrock underneath the sand and clay, to anchor the building there. Do you know why this is really, really important? Because do you know what hurricanes do? Do you know how powerful these things are? In 2017, Hurricane Irma made landfall in Florida with, watch this, 177 mile per hour wind. Could you stand in that kind of wind? Couple the wind with the driving rain, with the, the swell of the water pushing inland, and now you've got structures that are taking a beating. That kind of a hurricane will move everything, crumble everything that's not anchored to the bedrock. So again, the question is, how long are you willing to dig, and how deep are you willing to go to find bedrock, or to say, it's too hard, and I'm going to quit and just settle for something else? That's why Jesus says this. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. I really like that word founded. In the Greek, it's the word thamalio, word thamalio, and it means stable, steadfast, established, 
firm. When Paul writes his letter to the Colossian church in the New Testament, he uses this word. Listen to what he tells this church he wants them to do. He says, continue in the faith, established and stable. There's the word. And do not move from the hope held out for you in the gospel. And do not move from the hope held out for you in the gospel. So here's what I'm discovering. There's something of a relationship being developed in all of this conversation. There's something that has to compel me to hold so tightly to the gospel so that I won't let go and not be moved. What would compel me to do that? I have to be aware of the spiritual dangers surrounding me, right? And how severe the dangers are will dictate how tightly I hold to the gospel. Because depending on how severe the spiritual dangers are, raises or lowers the value of the gospel. So if the spiritual dangers aren't really that dangerous, then the gospel inherently has less value, which won't compel me to hold so tightly to it. But if the spiritual dangers surrounding me are deadly, and I perceive the gospel to be my sole rescue, then all of, a gospel, all of a sudden the gospel has immense value and therefore I am compelled to hold as tight as I can to the gospel for two reasons. One, I know that if I hold weakly to a grip, I am liable to let go. But there's another reality as well. If I have a weak grip, I'm liable to be pulled away by something else. The danger of letting go of the gospel is not only my inherent tendency to walk away from it, but from outside forces, strength of pulling me away from it. So here's the relationship when it comes to building something. I'm more interested in bedrock. Watch this. I'm more interested in bedrock the stronger I believe the hurricane will be. I'm more interested in bedrock the stronger I believe the hurricane will be. Do you know why this is really important? Listen to what Jesus says. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a man who builds his house on the sand. I love this other translation. It says this. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a man, listen to it, who couldn't be bothered with finding bedrock and settled for the sand. Interesting language, don't you think? who couldn't be bothered. So again, let me ask you a question. How long are you willing to dig? And how deep are you willing to go to find bedrock or to find that sand is okay? I mean, if a hurricane never comes, sand is fine, right? If the storm never shows up, clay is strong. But if a hurricane shows up, you're risking everything, aren't you? And so here's what Jesus says. The rain came, the flood came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. A massive collapse, kind of like the San Padre Islands Ocean Tower, just imploded on itself. Now, let me share with you something that I learned about foundations. You're not supposed to see them. As soon as the foundation is laid, it's supposed to be covered. Regardless of whether it's bedrock or just in sand, it's supposed to be covered because all you want the customer to see, all you want the owner to see is the pretty stuff that's built on top of it. You don't want to see concrete columns. You want to see steel I-beams. What you want to see 
is the nice stainless steel kitchen appliances in your kitchen. What you want to see is the beautiful views of the golf outside your windows. What you want to see is the spacious bedrooms and bathrooms, and that's what you're looking for. You're not looking to see concrete and steel. What I'm trying to say is this. Oftentimes, the foundation will be revealed, though, only after the storm passes. It's when the storm breaks that will reveal whether the building survived or collapsed. And then you'll be like, oh, okay, I see what kind of foundation there is now. Foundations are never meant to be seen. They're only revealed after the storm breaks. The reason I say that is because a lot of us say, you know what? I've got a great foundation because I'm a Christian and I believe Jesus. I believe in him. That's the best foundation you could ever have. And so I'm fine. But let me pause and say, we're not talking about condominiums anymore, are we? We're in a series on marriage, but it's appropriate, isn't it? Because every one of us has built our marriage on something. We built our marriage on some kind of foundation. The problem is because you're a Christian and you're in Christian community, oftentimes our marriages look alike. We're not the same people, but we probably teach our kids the same values, don't we? We're not the same people, but we probably watch the same kind of movies. We probably watched all the seasons of The Chosen three or four times, haven't we? You're like, what's The Chosen? If you know what The Chosen is, you're probably not even a Christian, okay? <laughs> just saying, just saying. We probably teach our kids the same kind of morals. We watch the same kind of movies. We don't watch those bad movies. Don't go to those bad places. We all vacation in the same family-friendly kind of places. I mean, all of our marriages, to some degree, look alike, don't they? So when we're looking at each of our marriages, at least from an outside perspective, it would appear that we all have the right foundation, Jesus, right? But listen, go back to verse 24. Listen to what Jesus says. Those who hear these words of mine and does them, look at verse 26, those who hear these words of mine and do not do them. Watch this. He's talking to two different people who have all heard Jesus' words. In other words, these are people who are in Christian community. These are people who are exposed to the word of God and might I add, probably even believe them because why would you hear God's word and continue hearing God's word if you didn't believe them? So the point I'm trying to make is this. A lot of us believe that the foundation of our marriage is strong because we know the word of God and we believe it. But watch what verse 24 and 26 do not say. He doesn't say those who hear these words of mine and believe them is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26 does not say those who hear these words of mine and does not believe them it's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. No, no, watch what he says. Those who hear these words of mine and does them. There it is. Verse 26, those who hear these words of mine and do not do them. The foundation of a great marriage, watch this, is not what you know. It's not built on your intellect. It's not built on your theology. It's not even built on your belief system. You can say, I believe that Jesus is the Lord. I believe he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. I believe in the virgin birth. I mean, you can recite, memorize the apostolic creed, the Nicene creed, all the different creeds. You can have a memorized. Jesus says that's not what a good foundation is. Those who hear these words of mine and does them, obedience to the word is the right foundation. 
And that's where it gets tricky for us. Because most of us in this room at least have some level of knowing the word of God. And if I were to poll all of you, which we've done in the past, I'm going to guess over 95% of you would say, yes, I believe in the core truths about who Jesus Christ is. And yet when the hurricane comes, why is it that sometimes our marriages crumble instead of thrives? Here's what Jesus says. Those who hear these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house on the bedrock. Are you, are you tracking with me? This is hard for us to hear because what it does is it forces us to apply what we already know. It's easy to learn stuff. It's easy to believe stuff. It's hard to obey stuff, especially when that's counterintuitive, especially when it's counter habitual, especially when it goes against the grain of our desires and passions and hobbies and proclivities and tendencies. It's really hard to do that. Here's what Jesus says. Obedience is what will build you the right foundation. So here's again my question. How long are you willing to dig? And how far are you willing to dig? How deep are you willing to dig to find that right foundation? How self-controlled are you willing to be to protect your marriage from illicit intimacy? How disciplined are you willing to keep your eyes so that attraction does not turn into lust? How willing are you able, how willing are you to get up earlier than everybody else, lose a little bit of sleep, to get up and spend time not only soaking in the word of God, but allowing the word of God to soak into you? So you're not just reading the word of God, but the word of God is reading you, revealing truths about you through the Holy Spirit's indwelling in you so that you can hear him say, "Mm, Eric, you got to adjust this, change course, correct this. What you said to your wife yesterday, that wasn't wise. You ought to apologize for that. You ought to reconcile for that. Eric, there was a thought you had in your mind yesterday. You need to take that thought captive and make it obedient to the Lordship of Jesus. So watch what I'm trying to say. When my wife and I exchanged vows, when we were 22 or 23, how old were we? (laughs) Felt like we were 17. We, We gave each other vows. Let me ask you a question. When I said my vows to Heather at 22, do you think I had any idea how I was going to keep those vows when I turned 52? Here's the problem. At 22, you might think you've gone through some stuff. You haven't gone through a hurricane yet. You might have had a tropical storm, maybe some lightning. You haven't had a hurricane yet. And so when I make my vows to my wife at 22, I'm making a promise based on a reality I've never experienced yet. So here's my question. How am I going to maintain my vow to Heather? when I've never experienced a hurricane strong enough to break my vow. Because this is really important, guys, because watch this. When I exchanged vows with Heather, I was not telling her how much I loved her in the moment. I was telling her how much I will love her in the future. So watch this. When she asked me the question, how much will you love me when I have stage four cancer? That's a hurricane. Here's what I said. Till death do us part. 
And when I ask her the question, how much will you love me when I lose my job and our income is cut in half? Here's what she says to me, for richer or for poorer. And when she looks at me and asks the question, how much will you love me when my body shows its age and the younger, more attractive woman catches your eye? Here's what I say to her. Forsaking all others, I will give myself only unto you for the day, until the day I die. How am I going to keep those vows? How is she going to keep her vows at 22 when we're 52? Because we haven't experienced those hurricanes yet. So watch this. When you get in the ring with your spouse and you commit to fighting for your marriage, watch this. Your spouse needs to hear you say, I love you. Your spouse needs to, hear, needs to know that you do love them. But when the hurricanes come and the battle really begins, they don't need to hear you say, I love you. What they need to hear you do is anchor yourself to the bedrock of Jesus so that when the hurricane comes, you can mutually support each other knowing that the support will be grounded in the bedrock of Jesus Christ. That's what they need to see. So when I tell my wife I love her, all of my verbiage, all my language, all my verbal affection, watch this, becomes worthless if she doesn't see me actively anchoring my life to the bedrock of Jesus Christ so that when things in life hit her hard and she needs me, she can lean heavily on me and trust that I'll be an adequate support. Why? Not because I'm strong enough, but because I myself have been anchored to the bedrock of Jesus and therefore I become her support pillars. And she does for me. I would like to pride myself in believing that I'm a strong enough guy, that I'm resilient, that I can handle stress and anxiety well. But I have to tell you, there have been times where I've really needed Heather. And I've never told you that. Too embarrassing. And in that moment, what I did not need to hear from her is, I love you. What I needed to see from her is a support structure that comes from her own anchoring to Jesus. And then she becomes my support. And so I'm wondering if there's ever been a hurricane that showed up in your marriage. I don't know if I even needed to ask that question, did I? Because I'm sure it has. I will be the first to tell you that hurricanes have taken their toll on my marriage as they've taken their toll on your marriage. When hurricanes come, even if you have a great foundation to the bedrock, you might need to replace some windows, some new siding, maybe a new roof. You might even need to do just some new construction. The house itself might have fallen down, but since the foundation is there, you can rebuild. Some of you have been hit hard by hurricanes. The question is not, did the marriage get any scars? The question is, is the foundation still there so that scars can be healed? Wounds can be healed. Pains can be calmed and the marriage can thrive again. Need to rebuild some? Sure. Need reconciliation some? Sure. Need forgiveness some? Absolutely. But if your foundation is on the bedrock of Jesus, you can rebuild every single time.
And so how do we do this? How do we do this? Number one, actually, it's kind of a pre-number one. I'm going to get to number one in a second. But let me just kind of give you a mentality first. Let me encourage you to read marriage books. Let me encourage you, if you want to, to go to marriage sessions, seminars, conferences, whatever. But let me kind of give you a mentality first. I don't care how many marriage books you read. I don't care how many marriage conferences you go to. What I care about is obedience to the word of God when the hurricane comes. And so what I care about is how you respond to your spouse when you're angry at them. What I care about is how far you run, how fast you run out of the room when immorality walks into the room. What I care about is how many thoughts you're taking captive and making obedient to the Lordship of Jesus. What I care about is how you are embodying, exemplifying before your spouse a life of holiness, a life of righteousness, a life of integrity, so that those things become visual. That's what I care about. I don't care about what you say or how many books you read, how many seminars you go to. What I care about is the active living out of the Word of God in your marriage. There, you've got a foundation. So, with that mentality, in place. Here's number one. You got to get their back. Listen to what Ecclesiastes says. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other one up. And so when I get hit and I fall down, I can trust that my wife is there to pick me up. Why? Because she has been strengthened by the bedrock of Jesus and vice versa. You got to get their back. You will never get the other person's back if you're so concerned and so afraid that you're going to crumble yourself. Because if you don't have enough strength to keep yourself up, you'll never have enough strength to hold your spouse up. The best gift, watch this, the best gift you can give your spouse is your spiritual stability. Because everything else, all the window dressing, all the fun stuff in marriage will come out of and be built on top of that foundation. But when all of that other stuff starts to shake, they will know that they can still stand and be supported by the foundation you have in Jesus. Here's number two. Resist recklessness. Resist recklessness. Let me get specific on this. This can be oftentimes be the elephant in the room. But oftentimes there are couples while they're dating or engaged that say, why can't we be sexually intimate with each other? We're committed to each other. We're going to get married. Why not just start now? What does a piece of paper have to do with waiting, right? What you're telling your fiance is that one, especially as a Christian, you're willing to put your own appetites over the word of God. What you're telling your spouse is you're willing to put your own appetites over this biblical mandate of self-control and discipline. And so when you go to your wedding day and you give each other vows and say, yes, I will honor you before God, you just, you might've just lied because what you just told your spouse is, yeah, I'm vowing you that I'm going to honor God and I'm going to honor you. But prior to your actual wedding day, you have given indication behavior that you're willing to upend that vow for an appetite. The reason God asked you to wait is because he wants your spouse to know, your your fiance to know, that you are willing to put your foundation on the word of God and obedience to him over your appetites. 
And so resist recklessness. And so what this means for me now, even though that I am married, what this means for me now is to watch for indiscretions in my life and instead of justifying them, fight against them. Oftentimes, Heather and I will go to the gym on Friday mornings. And no surprise to you, there can be females in the gym, no surprise to you, that might not be dressed modestly. When we go to the gym together, here's what I want my wife to see. I want my wife to see them the moment she walks in the room. And then over the course of our entire workout, I want her to be able to look at me at any given time and see I'm not looking. I call it eye discipline. Listen to what Job says in the Old Testament. I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look lustfully at another woman. Should I keep that eye discipline when she's not there? One tiny indiscretion that is justified will lead to another indiscretion that is justified. And before long, you have built yourself a foundation that is able to be crumbled, that is weak. Resist recklessness. Number three, keep digging. Listen to what Paul says. The author of Hebrews says, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor. There's the word for the soul, firm and secure. I remember when I grew up, we we lived across the street um, from a field. And my parents, listen, I don't know if they made up this story or just to keep us occupied or if it's actually real, but they said, you know, the area where we grew up when it used to be like an Indian reservation or encampment or something like that. So they said, you know, if you look closely enough, you can find some ancient arrowheads. Again, I don't know if they made it up, but one day they showed us a handful of like arrowheads. They might've bought them on Amazon. I don't know, but they said, we found them in the field. And so I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And so I'm like, I'm going to find myself an arrowhead. And so I go out on the Saturday morning and I start looking around in this field because they said that the tilling of the field can often bring stones and arrowheads to the surface and you'll be able to see them. And so I'm walking around and I look down and my neck begins to hurt because I'm looking down the whole time. And then my back begins to hurt because I'm always bending over thinking, ooh, an arrowhead. Nope, just a rock. Ooh, an arrowhead. Nope, just a piece of dirt, you know? So my back's starting to hurt. Oh, and then it's muddy and so my shoes are getting all muddy. And then it's hot. It's July, okay? So now I'm getting really hot. Do you know what I discovered? I began to really lose interest in finding an arrowhead because it got so uncomfortable. So again, my question for you is how long are you willing to dig? And how deep are you willing to go to find the bedrock of Jesus Christ so that when the hurricanes of life hit your marriage, your marriage will stand and thrive? You might have to replace some windows and some siding and some roofing, but you can rebuild because the foundation is strong. And when life gets uncomfortable, when it gets difficult, instead of throwing in the towel and say, you know what, I guess we'll just settle for sand. It's fine. We'll just settle for clay. It's pretty strong. Keep digging. And I promise you, your spouse over the course of your life together will be incredibly grateful. Before I end, I want to say some of you have been burned by a spouse who wasn't willing to dig. And marriages have crumbled because foundations were proven to be weak. And if that's you, I want you to know that we want to be sensitive to you and compassionate to you and offer you whatever kind of hope and encouragement that we can give you. 
And I want to know whatever situation you are in right now, whether your marriage is still thriving and standing or if it's broken and crumbled, imploded because of a bad foundation, there's still a way that you can start right now by building your own foundation on Jesus Christ. And we want to help you do that as well. Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends in the room that you, you will encourage them. They will be reminded of your faithfulness to them, even though other people in their life, perhaps a spouse, has not been faithful to them. But we're grateful that you provide a foundation that is strong and steady and firm and established so that no matter what hurricane in our life hits us hard, when those winds and those waves and the rain beats against our life and our marriage, we can stand secure, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And so, Father, show us how we can be even more obedient to the Word of God, not just as believers, but as doers of the Word, because that is the foundation you have for us. So, Father, I pray for the future hope of each marriage in this room and everyone listening online, that they will find that hope on Jesus Christ, who is our bedrock. And we pray this in Jesus' name.